Okay, good luck, everybody. We continue with the third chapter of, of the pamphlet on Or HaMilchama, The Light of War, as explained by Rav Kook, Zichrona Lavrocha. And uh, first two chapters, we discussed how, the, how war is the light of the Mashiach beginning to happen. It's where great changes happen to the world. And in the second chapter, he talks about how the greatness of personality comes out in war, where we said it's, it's one thing to be a great fighter, it's one thing to be a great spiritual person, but to have both together, this is what war brings out in the greatness of people. And historically, all of our, many, many of our great Jewish heroes, on top of being great tzaddikim, were able to be great warriors. Now this third chapter, it's interesting. There are many people who, when they teach the classes on Rav Kook, they skip this chapter. And I understand why they skip the chapter. It's a hard chapter. So, uh, but I never skip anything. <laughs> so maybe with Esther and Shmuel helping, they are a little better at the modern Hebrew than I am. Uh, but it's not a question of modern Hebrew. It's just very difficult Hebrew from Rav Kook to know what he means and what those of his students explain. So, uh, but with some of the comments from Rav Shurki as well, hopefully it'll help us to understand a little bit what's going on and what this third chapter is explaining. So remember, the bold is the words of Rav Kook and the non-bold is the words of Rav Shurki, uh, a talmud of his son. So we'll try to understand what he's saying and we call the title of class, The Time Will Come for the Jews to Teach the World a Lesson. Okay, so Rav Kook says, We have left world politics. Okay, at a certain point in history, the Jews were no longer involved in world politics. Now, we were involved in world politics for a long time, started from... Moshe Rabbeinu getting us out of Mitzrayim, the Jewish people coming into Eretz Yisrael, which was the central focus of humanity, and certainly setting up a kingdom, certainly when we had a Beis Migdash and where we had a tremendous involvement with all the non-Jews of the world, we were very much involved in world politics. When did this stop? So on our footnotes we have... That really stopped with the destruction of the second base Amigdash, and much more so with the failure of the Bar Kokhva revolt. And there were some other uh, revolts in history, but they're not all documented. But uh, the Jews uh, really have not were not involved for a long time in a major way. Sometimes the Jews would help the Muslims a little bit, but it's been a long time. The Jews have not been involved in politics. And certainly when Rav Kook is writing what he is saying, uh, aside from Zionism, but uh, still we weren't any, you have to be involved in world politics. You have to be some kind of power. And the Jews didn't have any power. Now he says an interesting statement. And again, some of the translation um, is not accurate and I tried to correct where I could but you'll see, maybe I didn't catch them all. So Rav Cook continues, so we, we're not involved politically in the world politics. Me'unas 
sheyesh bo ratzon penimi. He says, forced against our will, but with an inner desire. So what does that mean? How could you say that we left world politics forced, but with an inner desire? It sounds to, it seems to be a contradiction. If you were forced, that means you were forced. But uh, but what? But still, there was an inner desire to not want to be involved in world politics. So what is this? So Rav Shirky says, yes, the answer is Amnam Zivazu. They really didn't want to leave the world politics, but there was a ratzon penimi. There was a certain consciousness for us to not be involved in it. So we have to see what this means, so to speak. And in other words, it's like. We, we didn't want to leave it, but we did really want to leave it. Until comes a more fortunate time. When we'll be able to, again, run a kingdom without wickedness and without barbarianism. So what was the issue over here? So the issue was that in the times of the second base amigdash the world was very barbaric and you couldn't really be involved in the world unless you were a barbarian the barbarians really were ruling the world and you have to be barbaric to be able to do this mm-hmm. so Shirky gives an example we know that the gemara says 40 years before the base amigdash the sanhedrin left the lishkas hagozis the court of hewn stones. Now, remember, the Sanhedrin was the supreme court, and when we had a Sanhedrin, we were able to um, uh, enforce all Jewish law, including capital punishments. Now, that would only happen when the Sanhedrin was residing and holding court in the Beis Hamikdash, and a special room which was called the Lishkas Hagozis. And when they were in the Lishkas Hagozis, they could adjudicate capital cases. Forty years before the Beis Amigas was destroyed, that court decided to move to a place called the Chanios, the Shops, which was a place only 150 meters away. So the question is, what, is, what does it matter where they sit? And the answer is, as long as the Sanhedrin sits in the court of Ewan Stones, they are commanded to adjudicate capital crimes. But as soon as, so to speak, the Sanhedrin goes into Gullus from its place, you're not allowed to do capital cases anymore. Now, why was this? Because the Jews were way too wicked. And they'd be busy doing so many capital cases, it would be crazy, and they'd be killing a lot of people. So now, Rabshirki asks the obvious question. Well, if there's a lot of wicked people, who's going to judge them? And what is the Sanhedrin doing by running away from their task? Who's going to take a, a responsibility for all the sinners in the country? And the answer is... The Romans. The Romans. Because the Romans already had a lot of power in the area at this time. And why would this be necessary? 
So he says, because those who are experts in being barbaric will have to be engaged in dealing with barbarians. So you see that the, the, the Sanhedrin themselves, they weren't barbarians. That was They were too refined for this, and they couldn't deal with this. So that's why he's saying, he started off by saying beforehand that, listen, we weren't involved in politics anymore. It was against our will. In other words, we got the temple got destroyed. We lost our power. But really, there was an inner desire maybe to lose it. Because in order to enforce law, we'd have to be barbarians. And we didn't want to do this. So now the question is, it comes out, so as long as there's riches in the world, are we not meant to be involved in the world politics that exists? Don't we want to be involved in the world politic? And the reason why we want to be involved in the world politic is so we can have an impact on the world. We have to be a light on to nations. How can the Jewish people be a light on to nations if we don't have any impact on the world? You have to remember, when we came very close to that state of perfection was in the times of Shlomo HaMelech. And Shlomo was a powerful king. And people from all the world came. And we, they heard the wisdom of King Solomon. Uh, Rashi tells us people would, Goyim would come to the Beis Hamikdash. They'd come at, at, at our holidays and they'd bring korbanos. And they'd see how proper the Jewish people lived. And many of them would want to convert or at least pay homage to Hashem. So we're a very powerful country. And unfortunately, it because of the sins that we did, it dwindled down and down. The first temple was destroyed. We got back, but even then, that wasn't so powerful. And uh, it came to the point before the second temple was destroyed. The best in already, Senate didn't want to enforce laws anymore. And in other words, it's very hard to rule if it's going to be requiring to be a barbarian. And Jews, by nature, we're not barbarians. Okay, that's an important point. So as much as they abdicated the role of being in the political stage, and of course they wanted to be a major power, but subconsciously they didn't want to be a major power because we couldn't really stand being barbarians to enforce the law. So to which Rav Kook now writes, Zehazman Shonu Mekavim. This is the time that we are waiting for. I guess the time to be back in the political limelight. Why? Shekidei Lahakshimo. But in order to make that real, we have to arouse our power. Maybe we have to use all the tools that time brings. Hakol Yad Kel Bore Kol Olami Minahelas. All through the hand of God that's guiding history. So, what does he? What, what is? What, what does he mean by this? He says, it's it's certainly um, uh, that we can't say. Well, since that our mission has been interrupted because how history put us down from the political stage. But uh, we shouldn't actively leave this. We should always want to make efforts to somehow want to be involved in the politics. And if we will succeed, it's a simon that Hashem wants us to. And if we don't succeed, it's a simon that Hashem does not want us to succeed. In other words, but we should still want to. 
In other words, we don't want to say, look, we just don't ever want to get back to that place anymore. No, the truth is we want to get back to that place. If Hashem will let us get back to that place, fine. We should be yearning for that. And that's what our tefillahs are all about. We say, Hashiva shoftenu kavari shonah. We pray three times a day. We want to come back when we have a Sanhedrin where we can teach the world the way they're supposed to behave, right? And again, for example, there's a mitzvah to conquer the land of Israel, right? But during the exile, you know, we tried in the beginning, we had Bar Kokhba, but we see that Hashem doesn't want it. So how can Hashem give us a mitzvah we can't fulfill? Well, Hashem's got other considerations. He delays it, but it doesn't mean we give up the right to do it. That's a very important point. And what, in other words, what he's saying is he felt that maybe after so many years, we just, that's it. We can't do it anymore. And we just going to have to wait for great miracles to happen. Elio is going to come from Shemayim and Mashiach is going to come. And he's saying, listen, we have mitzvahs. There are mitzvahs in the Torah. Mitzvahs in the Torah to live in Eretz Yisrael, uh, have, have a judi- judicial system that reflects divine wisdom and divine life. And it only can happen in the Beis Hamikdash. And there's so many parshas of the Torah, shoftim v'shotrim. Every year we read those Torah portions. We have to have judges. We have to, we have to make laws, enforce laws, keep laws. Live in the land of Eretz Yisrael. Give Trumas and Maestros. Have Shemitah. Have Yovel. These are all mitzvahs. And just because the Beis Hamidrash is destroyed, that it doesn't mean we're exempt from wanting this to happen. And to have this attitude that, well, you know what? It's just not in the cards. And somehow, some way, it's going to happen. And Rav Kook is saying, Zel Hasman Shanu Mekavim. This is the time that we're yearning for. But if you want it to happen, we have to at least arouse a desires and try with whatever we have to be able to make it happen. Now, obviously, if Hashem doesn't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. But if you're not even going to try, like what, what kind of answer? You could say, listen, we tried. Listen, we were behind Bar Kokhba. We wanted to get back and, and con- reconquer Israel. Hashem, you didn't let it. Okay, and then it got really bad. Okay, but doesn't mean to say that we're not wanting that to happen. And if there's any opportunity for this to happen, we should be involved in it. So now you can begin to understand why Rav Cook was so instrumental in trying to persuade the British to have the Balfour Declaration. Because if you're ready to have a Balfour Declaration where they look favorably, there should be a Jewish home. If you don't have a Jewish homeland, how can you ever get back to Eretz Yisrael? Mm-hmm. That is the point he's saying. However, it seems, and this is where the tricky part comes, but obviously it's been delayed for 1900 years. Remember, he's writing this in World War I. Mm-hmm. It's so, you know, it's interesting. What would he have said had he lived another 20 years? Remember, he died in 1935, so he never really got to see this dream come true, and who knows what would have happened had he been alive. So now he says, but this delay, there's a delay that has to be. Why? Because 
mamlaka ba'esra'a. Because our uh, our souls are sick and with awesome sins of uh, of of leadership. I think so. Hanhagas mamlaka ba'esra'a in this bad time. Okay, so it's it's not clear what he's talking about exactly, but obviously there's a lot of sins going on over here. And he's speaking, what he's saying, he's thinking about the conduct of the states, klape panim, towards the interior. So I guess he means what's going on politically inside at this time. In other words, you know, it, it, it wasn't exactly so ayayay in the early 1900s, politically within the Jews. All right? And that's why Hashem is delaying things. You can imagine what was going on with the reform movement. Like, how can Hashem bring us a base amigdash when the reform movement doesn't even want to go to Eretz Yisrael and takes it out of the sitter? Right? There's all kinds of challenges over here. So the delay must be, and we'll see a little bit more why the delay must be, as he explains shortly. Now over here, there's a huge footnote. I'm going to leave it for the end. The footnote, you said, put a little star over here. And the footnote goes for four pages. No We're going to leave it to finish one idea. And the footnote in itself is a very worthy thing to look into and very timely for what's going on over here. <coughs> so now Rev Cook is saying, well, that was the delay. But v'inei higia hasman. And now the time has come. It's 1919. Karov ma'od, very close. Ha'olam yispasem, the world become refined. Remember, he said in the beginning of this article, he said that world wars are for what? So at the end, the wicked people are cleaned out and the world becomes refined. Now we can prepare ourselves. Because now we're possible to run a kingdom through positive foundations of wisdom, straight straightness, and with divine enlightenment. Why is this? We'll see in a minute. We'll see what's going on. Okay, now, interesting, what relates to this coming Parsha. Okay, so what happens? The Medrash says, we know that Yaakov is going to meet Esau. He's going to meet him on Monday, I believe, or Tuesday. When you're reading, when you're reading the every day another section of the Chumash, he's preparing to meet Esav, and I guess he's quoting a Chazal. Yaakov sholach leEsav es hapurpira. Yaakov sent Esav a purple garment of kings. Yes, it's an Aramaic word. Beget shel melachim, a garment like the purple yeah. raiment. Is that yeah. a true word? Hapurpira. No, it's Aramaic. Yeah. Aramaic. But this is the pasuk. The Pasuk says, Let my master pass uh, before his servant. Okay? In other words, what's he saying? He's hinting to, listen, you know what, Esau, you can run the world right now. It's not worth it for Yaakov to be a political figure right now. When it's a world that should be filled with blood. In other words, let's say Middle Ages, things like that. When it requires intelligent wickedness. 
To, run, to be running the world, to be a king, you got to be cutthroat. We only received the foundation as necessary to found a nation. And since the, uh, the, the, the root, we've been weaned away from it, we've been pushed away from leadership, we've been scattered amongst the non-Jews, and we've been seated throughout the depths of the world. In other words, I believe what he's saying is, just like when Yaakov said to Esau, right now he says, I'm not going to be the king. I'm not capable of being a king. I've got my family. I have to raise my king. I'm not in a position to be involved in power. Esau said, you know, let's go along together. Let's walk together. We'll be partners in running the world. And Yaakov says, it's still premature for me to run the world right now. But what, what Rav Kook, I believe, is saying is, it's a prophecy for the future. That there are times when Yaakov has to say, I can't be in charge right now. For whatever reasons, we're not worthy to be in charge, or it's a bloodthirsty world, that frankly, we don't want to be in charge of a bloodthirsty world. For someone to become a world leader today requires extreme riches, right? Uh, right? And, and again, I can't repeat it enough. The reason why everybody from the establishment hates Trump, because he doesn't involve himself in the extreme riches. He wasn't. And that they could not tolerate. Now, riches takes many forms. It could, in certain countries, killing your political rivals. You can kill them physically. You can kill them monetarily. You can kill them by besmirching them. Brutal. How does a Democrat ever get into office? By saying lies about his opponents. You got to be dirty. You got to really be dirty to be able to run a, a country. You got to be so wicked to not care about anybody in your country. You have to be so two-faced. And this is how world politics shapes itself but of course, like Aesop, you make a big smile and to show how wonderful you are. And to be able to get anywhere in this political world, you'd have to get down to such a terrible level. And it was not the right time for Jews to be leaders. Adasher, now we come back to what he said earlier. Adasher, Eis Hazamir, Higia, Vekol Hator, Yishma, Be'artzeim. Remember, we quoted this, until the time of the nightingale has come and the voice of the, not shouldn't be the turn, that's English is wrong, the voice of the turtle dove, not turn, turtle dove. Let's fix that up a little bit. That's where the translations don't uh, go so well. Voice of the turtle dove is heard in our country. Now look what he did over here. The real Pasuk that says, it says the real pasuk in Shirashim says, "Es hazamir higia vekol hator nishma be'artzeinu." That's the real pasuk. Nishma is heard. The Rav Cook played a little ga- a word game. He changed it from nishma. Rav Shina said, "Nishma leyishma will be heard." So it comes out the first half of the pasuk in the past. 
and the second half is in the future, the way he's translating. In in the in the Shirashim, everything's in the past. But he wants to apply it to the future when the voice of the turtle dove will be heard. And that's why he's hinting to we're in the middle of this process. We're between the past and the future. And what is happening, according to Rev Shirky, he's saying, what was the major change that World War I brought? The, the, uh, 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 the arising of democracy. Remember, a lot of uh, kingdoms fell in World War I. The Ottoman Empire fell. The Russian Tsar fell. Austro-Hungary Empire fell. And now what was winning? What was winning was England, United States, democracies. Ah, democracies. That is menschlich, you see. Uh, that's what they thought. You understand what's happening? That democracy would be the norm, okay? And uh, there we had the French Revolution. That was 100 years before that. There was always tyrannies running the world for hundreds and hundreds of years. So I believe Rev. Cook saying there's no way the Jews could ever enter in the world when it was a tyrannical world. It just wouldn't fit in for this, okay? And certainly, he says, oh, even though, even with democracies, it's not an easy thing to fulfill. He says there's difficulties for the Gentiles regarding the ability to apply these values, but the very fact they decided to talk about these values as a basis of a society is a sign that something has changed in them. And as soon as they started talking about democracy with Israel, he realized it was possible again to run a country under principles of justice and the Zionist movement began. Okay, that's what he was hoping. Now that democracy, there's a reason why democracy is coming into the world. The theory being, you don't have to be a barbaric person anymore. And if you don't have to be barbarians, then that's something that suits a Jewish people to not have to be barbarians. And that's, he was a very good student of history. I mean, we just are so, uh, what's the word? Uh, ignorant of the past. What it meant when there really were barbaric times where you had no freedoms, you couldn't do anything. And you, you, you had no freedom, you couldn't do anything. And now how could, a, how could a Jewish country, if you were a successful country, you'd have to be a barbarian. So how could you have a Jewish people be barbarians in a barbaric world? But he didn't know the most barbaric was about to come. <laughs> That's correct. It, the most barbaric was about to come, but still it got destroyed. Germany got destroyed, and Germany became a democracy. It was a democracy, but it got... Uh, what do you call adult uh, uh, corrupted, right. so to speak? Yes, and then Hitler, Yamashimo said it was an honor to be barbarians. Yeah, so you're right, but that didn't last. But he did get elected. I understand he got right? elected. So, yeah. I understand, but at the end of the day, when World War Two ended, the barbarian <laughs> lost. <laughs> And if you thought you were going to have democracies around the world, even socialism on paper appeared to be better than a monarchy, but it didn't quite turn out that way either with Russia. Now, again, we had a, a very uh, um, uh, temporary glimmer of hope when the Berlin Wall went down, 
Yeah. And that fell, Russia fell down, and democracy emerged again. And it's been shaky course since then. Yeah. But at least the whole world had a different face and a different opportunity of democracy. <laughs> so Rav Cook is looking at the way World War I definitely changed things forever. There's no such thing as monarchy anymore. Yeah. It really stopped. But now the question is, so he was hoping, and the world was hoping, we'd move into democracy. And we have democracy, and Israel will be a democracy, and they'll be able, and, there's, and there appears to be people who are sensible and want to have some types of rights and morals and things like that. And uh, it will look very favorable that there could be a, a, a state of Israel where we could act with a democracy, we could put these values into place. That's all he has to say about this in this chapter. But there's some very interesting footnotes where he quote Rav Shirky quotes Rav Cook in another another a number of places when we had to deal with barbarians. There was a time the Jewish people had to deal with barbarians. And that's what he that's where I put the footnote over here for the delay that was happening because of the barbarians. So now he makes a few references to some of Rav Cook's works. One is the Geras Hariya. And he says like this: he says, and in matters of war, it was absolutely impossible when all the neighbors were real coyote wolves, <laughs> that only Israel would not fight. And then they would gather and destroy the rest of them. In other words, there were certain times that it was not possible for the Jews to be peaceful people because we lived around barbarians, and therefore, what did the Jews have to do? We had to strike fear into the savages by cruel leadership as well. It was necessary to act cruel. And it's very interesting. He sees this. He quotes many psukim in Tehillim and Mishlei and Sefer Dvarim. And many of these psukim are talking, you know, what should happen to the enemies of the Jews. Okay? And the first one is from Al-Naharos Bavel. Okay, blessed is the daughter of Bavel, the robber. Blessed is he who pays you your reward that you have rewarded us. Blessed is he who takes hold of yoke and smashes it to the rock. His feet will be bathed in the blood of the wicked. I will sharpen arrows with blood and my sword will eat flesh with the blood of hollow and she will capture the head of power of the enemy or Gentiles because the blood of his servants will stand up. He, Hashem, will judge the heathen full of corpses from the head on a great land. And all this is, these images uh, is very not sympathetic, smashing babies into stones and all this. This is the bloody wars that Dovin Melech is singing that the Jews will have to do. In other words, Jews will have to be very cruel to these people. Now, Rav Kook continues in this letter. He says, It would be very important very important to put fear into the savages with cruel leaderships in order to bring humanity back to the way it's supposed to be. 
boy, he wrote this over a hundred years ago. Okay, you understand what he's saying? He's saying you have to know when to treat savages like savages. Now you have to know, Rav Cook was a very peaceful person. He wasn't a warmonger, a very loving, kind, soft-spoken person. But he says you can't live amongst wolves and just sit back and let it happen. Okay? You have to teach the savages so that you could have a, a proper way of living life. But of a lowly but not to push the envelope. He says, when you stand in front of them, then you must act like a savage. You have to go down to their level. So that's, and again, there were, it was already beginning times like that. So we have to realize that's not our ideal. It's certainly not the way we want to rule. But when you live around savages, you have to put fear into the savages. Vidat, and he continues, Rav Cook in another work. When we deal with the laws of a congregation. Now we know there's an idea called midas chasidus, an attribute of piety. For example, let's say you're involved in a financial dealing with somebody and the law is on your side and you're allowed to collect the money. But there'll be sometimes a concept of midas chasidus. You should go beyond the letter of the law, give in, you know, it's just money, give in. Or somebody insults you and hurts your feelings. You know what? Be mavater. There is an, a concept of midas chasidus. But if Cook says a fascinating concept, you can only enforce a midas chasidus on private individuals. Midas chasidus is not a halacha for a congregation. You can't enforce that a congregation should live with midas chasidus to make that the law. There's a reason why chasidus is a personal choice. There's a law, but the law, everybody has to follow the law. So in certain financial issues, the law is this. The law is you don't have to be mavater. You don't. And we and generally, people can follow the law. But to be a chassid already, that's for private individuals. And that's what he's saying. If you're going to enforce midus chassidus on the congregation, then chassidus now is the basic law. So there's no chassidus. And the goal of Torah, Hashem wants to establish an intellectual light through a power of love and philanthropy. In other words, something that you want to do. This is a source of many leniencies. When we talk about war. In other words, we, when we deal with war, there is not a place for midus chasidus in war, which means to say the whole concept that the UN has Geneva Conventions is a shtus she'en kamohu. <laughs> there could be nothing as stupid. You say pure evil. It's a shtut she'en kamohu. Right? It's like, what are you talking about? When he, war is not a game. It's not like Stratego on a board. Huh. You know, everybody thinks life is Stratego. 
No, there's real people, real death, real evil is out there, and evil doesn't follow the rules. You're going to make a Geneva Convention, and the evil person is going to say, you can keep your conventions, and we will destroy you with your conventions. And that's what happens. Do you think any, oh, we're going to call you a war criminal. Oh, Putin, his mom is shaking in his pants. Oh, you called me a war criminal. He's been called a war criminal for a year and a half. He's a terrible man. Yeah, go try to catch him. Go try to stop him. But we said you're a war criminal. So there, you got a little black dot next to your name. Meanwhile, he can murder and kill whoever he wants. You, you follow what's going on. There's no such thing as a Geneva. Geneva Convention is trying to apply Midus Hasidus to war. And that's outrageous. Because the only ones who will keep it are the silly losers. Okay? You know, when, when uh, Trump was uh, getting into office, what was running, and he would say he was into waterboarding. In other words, the whole thing, torturing prisoners. And he said, you torture prisoners. If he's going to be president, he'll tell the CIA to torture prisoners. Whoa, the left goes nuts. See, he's a Russia. He's a terrible guy. Look what kind of cruel man he is. So Trump says, I don't understand. You're dealing with people that chop people's heads off. You're dueling people who do the cruelest tortures, and we can't torture them. Do you understand? He says, you know how foolish you are? He was 100% right. But the liberals, what do you mean? We can't lower ourselves down to that level. And you can see what's happening to the country. What's happened to your own country over here? Your own country in Canada. They are going against, you cannot have Midos Hasidus in a public way. You can't bring in 25,000 undocumented, um, what do you call, immigrants, number one, if you don't have place for them, number one. So what are you doing? You really don't know their background. You don't know if they want to kill you. Yeah, but listen, they're, 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 they're coming here. So what? But we got to care about them. Yeah, but you first have to care about yourself. You bring them in, you don't have enough housing for your own citizens. So where's this casinos coming from? And you bring in, they have nowhere to, they don't sleep. We have to take Canadians uh, on a Thursday night, sleeping, a drunk bum is next to the bathroom over here. We have to call the security to get the guy out. That's not an illegal immigrant. Wait, they have all these other guys. You can't do these things. It's gotta be way, but, 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 but how can we let that? Fine, think of something else. And what happens is, you know, you have this in New York. They have so many illegal immigrants, so Mayor Adams says, and the government says, you got to take care of them. So what did he do? He had to cut the budget on the police. So they have less police to take care of crime. Why? Because Hasidus. You can't do that. There's no such thing as Hasidus when it comes to war. And that's why this whole thing that's going on in Eretz Yisrael, where the UN is holding Israel to such a standard, you know, you're allowed to defend yourself, but you have to care to cut down as possible as any uh, civilian casualties. That's a steer How can you do that? That's not what war is. While the enemy 
doesn't have to do that. And they're not even condemned for it. And after they're putting the civilians okay, in that's what they're doing. So that's what he's saying over here. He says, When we talk about war, There's no idea of midas chasidus. If you deal with Hasidus with animals, they will exploit it and use it against you. Okay? They will use it against you. So there's no such thing as Midas Hasidus. So now the question that can be asked comes out according to the Rav. He's concluding what is the Ratzon Hashem according to reality. He's saying the Ratzon of Hashem has been certain amount of time we can't be in charge. Um, sometimes when you're dealing with para autumns, you have to act like para autumns. So the question now is, so so what is the will of Hashem? Shouldn't we look at what Hashem says is a Torah, what, what we should do according to the Torah? He's asking an interesting question. The Torah is saying one thing. Rav Kook is saying we have to live with what the reality is. So boy, we should live like the Torah. So the answer is beautiful. Misha Nasana Satora, the one who gave us the Torah, who's that Shabura Samitsius? He created the reality. Do you understand? He created the Torah, but he also created the reality. And therefore, there's two ways for him to, re- re- to tell you what his desire is. But Torah from the Torah, Uba Metzius and with the reality. So when the Torah says, you know, you shouldn't be a murderer and these things, but Hashem puts a world with a metzius. And a metzius is, you're dealing with barbarians. Now, of course, there's always the idea of Amidus Chasidus. Torah says, Kedoshim Tiyu, you got to be holy people. You have to tzedek, tzedek, tirdov, go run after justice. And we learn from the Torah to go beyond the letter of the law. But then Hashem creates a reality. And he says, listen, don't be a shaita. If I've created reality, and, and, and Hashem, as much as there's a lot of positive, liberal ideas in Torah, I mean, the idea of tzedakah is what we call a liberal idea. You'd call it a liberal idea. You, think about it from a purely non-religious point of view. Before, you know, there's no idea of social services. Until uh, the early 1900s, no such thing as social services. Didn't exist. You didn't have money, you had a problem. You died. The government's not helping you. So there was a liberal attitude. I'm not saying it negatively now. You know, you, you got to help people who don't have. It's okay. That's a liberal attitude. But you got to make sure that people aren't taking advantage of the liberal attitude. The mitzius will dictate, and you're supposed to have something called common seichel. And Hashem is creating, if Hashem is creating murderers surrounding you, then obviously Hashem's will is that you have to act that way. Or Hashem's will is we're not yet ready to run a country if we're going to have to become these types of people. So it's a beautiful line that the one who gave us the Torah created the reality. And that also tells us what his Ratzon is. And therefore, if you're asking a, a, a rabbi, what is the Ratzon of Hashem in this war? It's clear what the Ratzon of Hashem is. Blow the heck out of these people. They are cruel. 
They are cruel. The Palestinians, 70% of them, approve of what Hamas does. And they're taught in their schools, little children, part of the Palestinian curriculum, murder Jews. Okay, so you got to deal with that. Okay, and yet, this is the great tragedy, is that we're not doing this. This is a great tragedy, yes? Reality also has a second purpose, I'm sure you'll get to I'm sorry, that. what? Reality also has reality for a second purpose, not just to act. To What's act the other purpose? To do, for Jews to do teshuva. Okay. That's us, not them. Yes, we can do tshuva. Yes, we should do tshuva, but we still have to destroy the enemy. We have to do tshuva. So now, now what, what I find, this is all not part of the original letter. This is other writings of Rav Cook. But now this next section, it gets really interesting. What he says in other parts of it. But it gets even more interesting. He's going to bring a story from the Navi. Agav. By the way. His 20th letter. This is, therefore, the advice of Hashem. He gave us a good piece of advice. Based on a minority of people where their strength is diminished, so our abilities will be diminished. When the strength of a country is diminished, its capabilities are diminished. In other words, you got to realize who you're dealing with. And if, and he'll explain what this means, but if we're, our koach is less, there's less that we can be expected to do. So he gives first a halachic example, Ludugma. Guys, Mechal Shabbos, in the good old days, we had a base on Migdash, a court of hewn stones. Dino Skila, the law of Skila, he stoned. Huh? Uba still in all, today, or even at the end of the Talmud period, nobody gets stoned today. That's why whenever you're teaching Torah to a secular person, you got to tell them, we don't do this nowadays. <laughs> So now, remember the rule. If the, if the strength of the country diminishes, so does its capabilities. <laughs> and therefore, the Rav continues, Umineus hayecholes, the diminishment of ability, this becomes a testimony what Hashem wants. Klomar, Hashem says, Imataloch el simen, if you're not able to do it, it's a sign Hashem doesn't want you to do it. And that's his and preventing it from the desire of happening. There's a lot of ways. Sometimes sometimes it's a practical thing that holds you back. Like no one's afraid of the kingdom. Sometimes it's a spiritual thing that's held back. Like it's a mitzvah not to say something that's not going to be listened to. And therefore, it depends on what you have. And now you begin to understand what's the will of Hashem. Okay, so then he brings a, a Yerushalmi. He says, 
Shimon Yochai was very happy when the court of Israel was moved from his place. In other words, he said he was happy when the when the Roman government did not allow the Jews to run the courts anymore. Mm-hmm. He was there happy. You know why? Because we didn't have the wisdom anymore to deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. We're not able to enforce these laws anymore. So it's so good the Romans are doing it. In other words, when Hashem sees we're not capable of doing it, he creates certain realities that shows that we're not capable of doing this. When we get weak, when we get weak in general, our, our utzma, our courage, our dedication, then our abilities are less. And therefore Hashem will bring situations that we're not able to do this. Okay? And now you have another point. A rabbi says, It's a Gemara. Anyone who has compassion and cruel people, he will be cruel to the merciful. Okay. We have to judge unfavorably. Someone who praises a soldier, a Jewish soldier, who won't fire the terrorist, because a terrorist is holding a Palestinian baby in his arms. Mm-hmm. People say, oh, what a humanitarian. He says he's not a humanitarian. And he quotes Golda Meir that says, yeah. We won't forgive the Arabs for forcing us to kill their sons. No, more than years. 50 years. No. Well, yeah, that's for more than 50 years. This is all. Jay's wondering why is it here? So, so, why is, is it a footnote? This is. No, so, we're just. It's other statements from Rav Cook. We're just. No, but who mentioned Golda Meir? That's what. No, Jay's this asking. is Rav Shirky. Remember, these are footnotes. These are footnotes. But you're seeing Rav Cook's philosophy, how it just permeates throughout history over here. He was so bang on. In what he's writing, I was, I was and gonna... and it's so unfortunate that again you have a secular government who isn't following any of this. This is where the problem is. Yeah. So are we saying that we as a secular government or just a secular... you got to hear a little louder? Are we saying I'm just trying to think this out that the secular Zionist, the secular Zionist, yes, just yeah, that they had the courage and the fight, and therefore they were. He was saying, first of all, you should know, we go back in time in the 1800s, the first Zionists were the Haredim. Who were the first people who made Ali in the 1800s? The students of the Vilna Gaon. This is before Theodore Herzl existed. Okay. So, and they went to build up Eretz Yisrael. And it was not easy and to, to build up farms. And they weren't yet there to do a political thing. We first have to go there. If nobody's there, right? So th- they were there. And then, and, and Rav Cook is seeing, yes, but now as, as history is shifting, we're getting to a democracy. So democracy is a good thing one day that could bring about Eretz Yisrael. And now he's seeing this war, and he's saying now, now it's time the political, our political should be more involved. And Rav Cook was involved politically. He would speak to them. He was very instrumental in the Balfour Declaration, and that was a good thing. Why 
But, but, and he was so hopeful that the secular people, you know, Rav Cook was like Yitzhak. Yitzhak knew Esav was a Russia, but not that big of a Russia. Rav Cook knew the secular Jews weren't religious, but he couldn't believe they were that wicked. That was his mistake. But, but he was encouraged them. Yes, we should have a state. From Jews that you should live in Eretz Yisrael. We should live in it with the Kedusha Bitaro. We should be keeping Shemitah. There was no politics yet. Okay? And if you want to say the religious people got outmaneuvered politically, I won't argue the point. Because we're not what? So what? Are you making a question, comment, statement? Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't want, how, how do you want me to respond? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> How do you, what do you want me to say? Rabbi usually says... You're saying that... What, am I correct in saying... You're saying what happened was the barbaric Jews were able to make the state and the religious ones weren't so barbaric and they couldn't do it. Is that what you're saying? They were not the Okay. Maybe. Maybe. Of course, Rav Cook wanted, he certainly believed in a from Jew who was very um, familiar with um, secular knowledge that was true. And he would certainly be true with what's happening with. Uh, what happening with all the, uh, what do you call it, the Mizrahi Haredi uh, soldiers and that kind of stuff. He certainly believed in that concept, even though it was a little bit before his time. But Mossad Araf Cook in all these places, and you have these, uh, what, what do they call the ones with the, from they learn and they serve? Uh, Hester, Hester, the Hester programs. That's exactly what Ruf Cook would want. Certainly he would want that. But wasn't enough. But Rabbi, now it's changing. There weren't enough people. But now yeah, there weren't. There weren't a lot. But Rabbi, right. now it's changing though. And and and, so and, and here's the problem. Yeah. Unfortunately, Sorry, the Holocaust know. knocked out a lot of good people. Yeah. So we got we got hit kind of hard. <laughs> but and there were a lot of good Sadiqim who were Arab Israel, but they weren't. Um, what do you want to say? Politically active. savvy and active in those things. Yeah. It wasn't. So you, you could say maybe they should have been in hindsight maybe they should have been, but but they weren't. But how could from be from they weren't they weren't. Jews can't eat barbarians. All right, we can't. That's how we started tonight. That's how we started, but you have to know how to be barbarians. Okay, let let's move on to an interesting story in Sefer Malachim. Okay, we take ourselves to Malachim Aleph chapter twenty. And we're talking about the terrible Achav. Achav and Jezebel. 
who really were uh, into idol worship, to put it mildly. And they were at war with Aram, who was King Hadad of Aram. And this is in the middle of the chapter, and there was an initial battle. Aram was in the northeast. So what's northeast of Israel? Is that Syria, no? You go up and to the right. So that's Syria, okay? So this was Ben-Hadad. And they had a battle, and they were able to push him away. They were able to push him away. The Navi says he's going to come back in a year, so get ready for him. At the turn of the year, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and advanced to Afek. That's a place to fight Israel. Now the Israelites had been mustered and provisioned, and they went out against them. When the Israelites encamped against them, they looked like two flocks of goats. Well, the Arameans covered the lead, which means the Arameans look like they're going to wipe us out. Then the agent of God approached and spoke to the king of Israel. This is Michael speaking to Ahav. Thus said God, because the Arameans have said God is a God of mountains, but not a God of lowlands, so I will deliver that great host into your hands, and you shall know that I am God. In other words, Hibadavka, Ben Adad said, we're going to fight them on the lowlands. Because God gave the Torah at Sinai. God is only powerful on the mountains. He's not powerful on the mountains. We're going to attack them on the lowlands. So the Novi says to Achav, he said, listen, Hashem's not going to let him get away with this. For seven days they were campus opposite each other. On the seventh day the battle was joined. Israel struck down 100,000 Aramean foot soldiers in one day. Mamish, a miracle. The survivors fled to a fake inside the town, and the well fell on the 27,000 survivors. Ben-Hadad also fled and took refuge inside the town in an inner chamber. His ministers said to him, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are magnanimous kings. Let us put sackcloth on our loins and ropes on our heads and surrender to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. Now, what you need to know, it's not written here, but the Mephor should explain, Michael says, and when you fight this next battle, you are to kill Ben-Hadad. Just remember, it's not in the text here, so just remember. So they girded sackcloth on their loins and wound ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, your servant Ben-Hadad says, I beg you, spare my life. He replied, is he still alive? He's my brother. The men divined his meaning. That means they're trying to figure, is this a sign or something? And it, oh, if he's talking like this, that means we have a chance. He says, yes, Ben-Hadad is your brother. In other words, he doesn't mean to trick you or anything. Go bring him, he said. Ben-Hadad came out to him, Achav, to Achav. He invited him into his chariot. Ben-Hadad said to him, I will give back the towns that my father took from your father. You may set up bazaars for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. We'll give you back the land. By the way, he broke that promise. <laughs> and I, for my part, said Achav, will let you go home under these terms. This is the vision of Arafat in 1971, whatever, 72. He's yeah. on that boat, yeah. leaving. Bye-bye, that big smile. Never forget. He's yeah. on the boat, it's going this way, and he's on the back of the boat. Okay. So he made a treaty with him and dismissed him. Now, a certain man, a disciple of the prophets, is Michael, 
said to another at the word of God, okay, so whole disruption, I don't want to get into all this, but basically he told somebody to hit him hard, to wound him, to make it look like he got hurt in battle. So Michael is going to dress up like a person in the war. And he won't know it's the prophet Michael. This is the trick over here. So he comes and he sees Ahav. Now he tells, as the king passed, he cried out to the king and said, your servant went out into the thick of the battle. Suddenly Satan came over and brought a man to me, I guess a lieutenant, saying, guard this man. If he goes missing, it will be your life for his, or you will have to pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he got away. What he's saying is, I didn't do such a good job, your majesty. I let the guy go. What should be? The king of Israel spotted, you have, you have your verdict. You pronounce it yourself. Ah, there's the setup. Yeah. Now the Navi, who's in, 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 uh, you know, disguised. disguised, quickly removed the cloth from his eyes. And the king recognized him as one of the prophets. He said to him, thus said God, because you have set free the man whom I doomed, your life shall be forfeit for his life and your people for his people. And that's exactly what happens shortly later. Achav goes to battle and he is killed in that battle. And no other Jew is killed in that battle, just Achav. Only one person died. So now, what do we learn from this? That's the story. So now Rav Shirky picks up the story. Okay, he explains everything, he just reviews the story, he's telling it over, etc., etc. And he's just refu refusing the whole story. Okay, now, so now, Nishala Sashela. Now we're up to here. Now, here's the question. Why did Achav have Rachmanus and Ben Hadad? Now remember what's going on. Achav is, uh, he's still a Jewish king. Still a base Hamikdash, right? But they're involved with idols. Now, idol worship was not merely bowing down to an idol. It was a certain lifestyle that went with this. And it comes with a certain philosophy. So the answer is, Mitzad Echad, Yeshlo Mida Yisraelis Tova. On one hand, he has a good Jewish attribute. Rachamim, right. mercy. Ach Mitzad Sheni Ha'erchim Ha'tarbutiim Shomelech Yisrael Ba'oset Kufa. The cultural values of the Jewish kings at this time. Ha'erchim Ha'tarbutiim Shalaram were Aramean cultures how can he fight against someone that he serves his same idol oh my Lord. if the Jewish king doesn't have his own values that he's fighting for his values he doesn't feel I have a moral permission to kill my enemy because we're really the same. Do you understand? So you look at someone like Netanyahu. What are his cultural values? His is Western. Western cultural values. And I am on top of that, but he does have Jewish Rachmanis. So what what did they do in the gets, Western world? What what just happened with the 
this uh, this guy who mowed down a Muslim family in Toronto a few years ago, he got his verdict last week. What's the terrible verdict for killing four people? 25 years, and then he can go on parole. Okay? And there's another uh, fellow. What did the, who did just let out a guy this week? I forgot what he did. He, oh, you know that famous guy? The famous guy who was the Paralympic uh, champion from South Africa, yeah, and he murdered he murdered his girlfriend. He murdered his girlfriend, and he made a whole story and this and that. How could he do it? I thought it was a burglar, this and that, and I killed him and all that. So now they gave him uh, they gave him twenty years, and he got paroled. He's getting paroled. So if you're living in a world that the culture is, what right do we have to kill a murderer? So now, what do you expect from Netanyahu? What do you expect from him? Right? Well, when the Torah say these are barbarians, you have to deal with them barbarians. But he's too American. He's too Western. There's too many Jews, too liberal, whatever it is. Listen, if the United, you try, you have to be, you have to let, you have the United States be happy with you, yeah? But listen, the country that's telling you what to do has let in 8 million illegal immigrants and is destroying their country. Do they think, you, you think they're going to want you to defend your country? Yeah. Now what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to smash them and finish them. Don't let them go. So what do they do? No, no, no. They have to follow their values. So what happens? You don't do that, you'll die in battle. And that's why you never find a prime minister in Israel stays around very long. He dies in political battle, so to speak, because they don't understand this. And it hasn't been one prime minister that understood this idea. Even Begin, who was the best of the prime ministers, he still gave away the Sinai. When Lubavitcher Rebbe told him not to give away the Sinai. And that was the end of Menachem Begin. So you got to realize that uh, you can't, so now, so this is the paragraph I have a little bit of trouble with. The Hebrew is very hard, and I can't quite understand what he's saying. He's quoting Rav Cook again. Kasher zonach Yisrael tov. When the Jews abandoned the good, kasher nevad mimenu erchal ha'atzmi When we lose our self-worth, and we don't recognize our real values, until we go after the gods of the other worlds, nevad mimenu gamkein das erko. We also lose our sense of value. If if we don't recognize our self-worth, then we lose our sense of value ourselves. Alkein kasher mehatshuka habarbaris shehi imsas kol goy adir marisa goyim shalom ayoshan. So therefore this sense of barbarian that I guess was part of the Goyish mentality? Is that what he's saying? Yes, yes. Yeah. To, inc- to increase what? The barbarians? His kingdom. To increase. It's about the imperialism, like England. And- okay, so. When he now has risen above. The barbaric Okay, so what do you think he's saying here? What do you think he's saying here? Uh, the, uh, the 
Okay, okay, very good. So now he continues. Mamshik Arav, so Rav Kukiti, it's another 10 minutes. Okay. Uh, where are we? Malchei Yisrael, Gam Haroim Shebehem. Jewish kings, even the bad ones, Malchei Chesed are you. They still have Chesed. What do you think that means? It wasn't possible for them to have such a spirit within them. But they should be. But they're not. They're not able to. So they gave up their potential and they took the vanities of the world. In other words, we have such potential, but we just don't value ourselves. Since we have lost our internal value of what we are, and therefore, Alonis <coughs> Asko will meet us We didn't weren't interested in, in, in knowing how to fight wars. Velobe Kivish Arzos and the conquering lands. Kimito Mehem Ziva Chaim Adilia. We lost that spark of idealism, a Machayas Uma that gives life to the nation. Vinisalma Mehem Hamatora Musurisa Gvoa Nimsos Pigdulosha Shosov Olam Lochein Hisikuli Lochem. And therefore, we stopped fighting wars. So we just gave that, up on that. This was in the past. I don't think so. We do have a No, this was in the past. This was this in No, no, Esther, in his times. In his times, we didn't have armies. No, no, no. We, we, you know, he was bemoaning the fact we don't have any, any soldiers now. It's 1919. 1919. Why aren't we getting involved politically? He's saying we're not getting involved politically. Okay. So anyway. Okay. Anyway. Uh, now let's just do this last part. This is a really nice thing. He says... He says, you know, so what, okay, let, uh, let, let's, another question is, comes out, Lafia Matzer, Shalom, Shalom, call us out, do we always have to be fighting in wars? Tshuva, okay. No, we don't. Why? If the Goyim would let us alone, there's no war. But but the opposite also. If they are bothering us, we do have to fight. We have a moral obligation to repair the world. Now he asks an incredible thing. This is like so good. Who does the country of Israel benefit? For a Jew, it for sure isn't good. What does he mean? A lot easier to live more comfortable, you don't have to worry about getting your head chopped off. You don't have to worry about this. Like, what What do we get out of living in Israel from a physical point? And the question is, why do we want to stay in the land? Answer is, it's halal. Not for us. For your name. Give to give honor to your kindness to your fellow man. Why should the Goyim say, Where is your God? In other words, he's saying, 
the wars that we're fighting today, because we're interested in repairing the world. This is what Shirky is saying now. We have a responsibility for the Goyim, for their benefits. And the fact is we don't want to fight. It sounds good. But this medrash you'll find in two weeks. Mm-hmm. And Yaakov dwelt in the land of his parents sojourning. What does it mean? Vayeshev, which means to live comfortably. Sojourning is not comfortably. <coughs> Yaakov wanted to live in tranquility. He already was. How old was he? He was 130 minus 22. He was 98 years old. He said, I already served king and country for so many years. Can I now take a break and live out the rest of my life in Eretz Yisrael and learning Torah? It's not enough the good stuff you have in the next world. You want to sit in church in this world? Immediately came the trouble with Yosef. So the question is, it's not, what's going, what does it bother Hashem that a tzaddik should sit and learn Torah? What does Hashem can't forgive? That he has oilam haz and oilam haba? The answer is, tzaddik yeah, tzaddik could be in tranquility. Yes, he personally is like oilam haba. What about his responsibility for the rest of the world? Responsibility for the rest of the world. Don't you have responsibility for the rest of the world? We have a responsibility for the rest of the world. Why do we have to fight? And this is, and see, some, uh, what's it called? Netanyahu says certain MS. Certain words he says are so MS. But certain parts of them are so crum. So what's the MS thing? He says, you think we're fighting our war? If we lose here, the rest of the world is going to lose. That's, that's 100% MS. And, and he should go one step further. With barbarians, you have to be barbaric. He but he's not doing it. And that's, and that's the challenge. That's the challenge. But Eretz Yisrael, so if you go to Eretz Yisrael, you're not going for your benefit. You're going to benefit the rest of the world because that's the, the flashpoint of where and and I, you see, Hashem doesn't let us get away with it. Like you know, how many other countries in the world got little countries and no one cares about them? What do you want from the Jews? Hashem is saying we can't get away from the destiny, and this is what Rav Cook. So certainly, if Rav Cook was around, he would. If they would, I'm, I'm assuming, if they would ask Rav Cook, what do you say we do? Just kill them all. Kill them all. Many Wipe them out. You have to be cruel. I. How can we do this? America will say no. Just do it. Let Hashem take care of you. Okay. We're going to turn off the tape and then we can take on this.